Hi there, Duke fans. Welcome to episode 422 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. I know, I know you're going through a little bit of withdrawal. We didn't do a pod over the weekend. I'm going to be honest, there just ain't a lot of Duke news happening right now. So <laughs> we've been uh, a little, uh, you know, we took a little break. You know, we, we've been cranking these puppies out two, three, sometimes even four a week for, for quite a while now. And, and so we took a little, little rest, but we are back for your listening enjoyment. I, of course, am Jason Evans. I will be hosting this week and joining me as they always are, are Sam Klein and Donald Wine. Donald, how are you feeling this morning? Uh, I feel pretty good. It's uh, it's a nice little Wednesday. I, it, I am a little tired because I went to bed at 1.30 last night. Um, that's what happens when the NBA playoffs are on late. Uh, but yeah, it's been it's been a good week so far. Yeah. And Sam Klein uh, uh, reporting to us from his office, I believe. Yes. Reporting uh, from my office. I am. Uh, it feels like I'm recovered from covid. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I don't know the exact timeline here, but it was like it was like three or four bad days. And now I'm uh, more or less back to normal. I still have the uh, Jason. I don't know how long foggy brain symptom remained for you. <laughs> um, but I still feel just like a little bit in a daze. And also, uh, I, I, I've talked to a couple people that, that said that they have something like this. My dreams have become much more vivid and confusing, uh, since I, since I caught COVID, I don't know if that has anything to do with anything, but, uh, I'm it, waking it up. It means being you have like, a brain. These yeah, symptoms my, my, to me, it's your brain my, is working. My, my brain is less functional during the day, but somehow more functional at night. So, uh, I might have to get that, that checked out. Uh, number, one, number one thing. Number one thing about foggy brain is you have to have a brain for it to be foggy. So that is true. That is true, which I'm blessed to have. Two for two. Well, we're glad you're feeling uh, better, Sam, as uh, you're about with COVID. Uh, I, I think just about everybody other than Donald <laughs> has gotten COVID at hey, some hey, point. Hey, hey, <laughs> hey. Knocking Knock on, on wood, wood, ladies and gentlemen, as I speak. Knock on wood. Uh, guys, so here's, here's what's on tap for us today. Uh, there's a whole sort of potpourri of like little things happening and questions we got from viewers and the such. No major news going on with Duke. Uh, folks, if you haven't been paying attention, uh, we are the, the team is still sort of awaiting news from Trevor Keels as to whether or not he will stay in the NBA draft or if he will return to Duke. There was a, a press conference um, a, a little more than a week ago where John Shire, you know, directly said, you know, hey, we're, we're talking to Trevor. We're working with him through this through this process. But, but Shire made it clear that no final decision has been made by Trevor Keels or his, or his family as to, as to where he's going to be headed. And Jason, we should note for viewers the timeline of kind of when this decision could come down. Excellent. So yes. anyone, anyone who has entered the, put their name in the NBA draft, there's the NBA draft combine. And that's uh, May 16th through the 22nd. So it's about and, and by the way, it's worth it's worth noting not everyone gets invited to the combine, but Correct. we saw the invite the invite list came out late yesterday. All the Dukies are on it. Trevor Keels is one of the players who's been invited. And sort of the 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 big thing that'll happen here is some of the players will elect to come and they'll be like measured, but they will not participate in activities. Trevor Keels is sort of Paulo to be in that that category. Exactly. And and, and probably uh, certainly A.J. Griffin, Mark Williams, and probably even I would suspect Wendell Moore may also be one of the guys who who says, I'm good. You know enough about me. You don't need me to, to work out. Trevor Keels, I think, is right on that cusp of guys who may decide to work out. And in fact, it, it may be an indication as to what he feels about his draft stock as to whether he participates in in the workouts 
or if he just shows up to be measured and then, you know, talks to some NBA executives and then skedaddles out of there. Yeah. So the, the best, the best part about this is the NBA draft ends on May 22nd. It's from May 16th to May 22nd. That's when our clock starts because 10 days after the end of the combine is the final deadline for players to withdraw from the NBA draft and return to college and not lose their amateur status. So uh, that will mean from basically around Memorial day, if you're, if you're keeping track around Memorial day is when we will know one way or the other, what Trevor Keels is going to do. So again, we still have a couple of weeks, but the timeline is still going. We're about to see this timeline start. And if this feels frustrating to you that sort of, we don't know what we don't know already, uh, Every year, this gets a little bit more confusing as the various stakeholders in this process want to claim a little bit more uh, agency in the thing, whether that's players who may decide to return to school or, um, you, you know, uh, players. Now we're, we're talking about the transfer, transfer portal players because you will find that there are a lot of decisions, you know, whoever may be transferring to Duke as a result of Trevor Keels' departure being one of them, but I'm sure there are numerous examples of this around the country, players who are sort of waiting to declare where they're going in the transfer portal for this exact window to close for, for players to decide whether or not they're, they're coming back to school. And even for some guys in the transfer portal, we are waiting to hear, because uh, in the case, I know we had got a couple of emails about AJ Green. AJ Green is doing the same kind of draft process that Trevor Keels is, so he's on a similar timeline. So at this point, don't expect a AJ Green announcement anytime soon because he has the same timeline kind of as Trevor Keels to decide whether or not he wants to remain in the NBA draft. There's also, you know, there's also been a lot of numbers thrown out about June 13th. Now, June 13th is the NBA deadline, but that has nothing to do with the NCAA deadline. So for everyone who wants to come back and play another year of college basketball, 10 days after the end of that May 22nd combine is that's the date for them. After that, they cannot come back to college and play. They can go to other places, the Europe or whatever, but that is the timeline that we're at for not just Trevor Keels, but for a lot of guys that Duke has been suspected at looking at in the portal. Look, speaking of timelines, Baylor Shireman, who was someone that, that a lot of people were connecting to Duke, that Duke was perhaps interested in who committed to Creighton, um, is also in this whole process. He, he went into the transfer portal. He, he committed to Creighton, and yet he's still in the NBA draft, and it's entirely possible that Baylor Shireman is going to decide to stay in the draft. He, he's another one of these guys who's, who's going to be at the combine and, and may decide to stay in. So, yeah, there's just a lot in flux, and it'll, it'll be coming, you know, coming to fruition, like Donald said, over the next 10, 14 days or so. And, and believe me, we will, we'll be back on to discuss it. <laughs> but there just isn't a lot other than speculation that we can do right now. And frankly, it's uninformed speculation because I think even, even John Shire does not know for sure what Trevor Keels is going to decide to do, although I suspect he will know before we do. <laughs> In any event, uh, we, we have other stuff we wanted to, to chat about. And the, the first thing I want to get to, gentlemen, on our last episode, we did a draft of one-and-done Duke basketball players. Folks, if you haven't listened, episode 421 where we uh, where each of us picked uh, one and done players from Duke history and formed teams please go back and listen to it it was a lot of fun I think it was a, a cool way to relive uh, the brief but very exciting careers of some of these guys and uh, we asked all of you the listeners out there to vote 
to send us emails, to vote on the DBR, you know, go to the DBR forums, the Duke Basketball Report forums, and, and vote there. And, and I am here to tell you that the, the result of that vote was basically that Sam and I are tied. Um, uh, it, it, you know, we were separated by like maybe one vote on the DBR forums. We got several emails. Is it two votes, Donald? It's two votes? It's 31 to 29. That is correct. 30, okay. And we got several emails. And, at, and sorry, Jason, Jason, which of us is ahead? Sam is ahead 31. That was Sam. That's correct. That, at the moment. I, the I will say, Sam, I will say, Sam, you are ahead by a couple in this poll, 31 to 29. I have 11 votes. We'll talk about that later. Um, but it's I feel it's no coincidence that you had the power of Zion on your team. Zion showed up on campus this past weekend. I think a lot of stars aligned um, to put you just over the top because it was it was neck and neck for a while. And then Zion showed up on campus and boom. You just creeped right over Jason yeah, the I'm, last uh, couple I'm, of days. He, he showed up on campus, Donald, and uh, was wearing that sleeveless T-shirt and was showing off the guns. And, yeah, uh, yeah. And that just, that just makes people feel a little bit also, better want about the shirt. his trajectory. <laughs> oh, yeah, no kidding. <laughs> so, so uh, Sam, do you want to declare victory? I, I, I guess you can if no. you want. I, I feel no, like it I, was... I think the... Uh, we we also they... had, we had emails that were... Also yeah, did divided. You, did, you, yeah. did you did you tally those up or or what? I I haven't tallied them all. Aren't up, you no. in, aren't you in charge here? The no. <laughs> my my uh, my my take on this whole thing is that I clearly drafted the most controversial team. Uh, and you did so so people either think my team was the best or the worst, depending on how important this whole ball handling thing is. So uh, I'm I'm okay with that. I like having the uh, the erratic uh, uh, volatile team. I think it's more fun. Well, people also noted, and I, I hadn't thought about this. We didn't discuss this on the podcast. Shout out to the folks who said, Sam drafted Zion and Jalil Okafor. How are those two guys playing together? Because it, they're both guys who's, who need some space in the lane. Uh, so I thought that was a really interesting because you seem to you, you seem to Zion ignore this point guard. Yeah, you <laughs> seem to ignore this whole Zion is point guard thing. Uh, multiple <laughs> multiple listeners emailed us and mentioned this uh, this exact point, and I was like, all of you were sort of similarly not listening to me, which is not new in my life. Folks not listening to me is totally fine, but, um, but, but don't come at me with that argument. Okay. I will say, I will say for the people for that, that voted for me, the 11 of you that did, they rode hard for me. So I shout out to all my people who voted for me because there wasn't a lot of like, I guess I'll give it to Donald. They were like, yo, Donald's team's the best. And those are the smartest people on here. So I, that's all I, that's how I take it. My people rode hard for me. Thank you very much. I will say that most of the people who voted for me definitely pointed out that that my final draft picks, that getting Wendell Carter, Vernon Carey, Cassius Stanley at the end of the draft, people were like, dude, that's that's some really good drafting. Those are some really good players to be coming in there at, at the bottom. But anyway, uh, we wanted to thank all of you for participating in our little game. It was it was fun. We enjoyed doing it. We will have more stuff like that as we attempt to fill the I don't want to call it a void, but a uh, a space, so to speak. Um, during the summer where there's not as much break in the schedule. Yeah. We're on a bye week or there two you go. or four. There you go. Exactly. But we, we, the other thing we'd asked all of you to do was to send us some questions and, and we got some really good ones. And, and I, I want to just take a couple moments to answer a few of those here on the air. First one's from Jonathan Bow, um, who, who's a, a great listener, he emails with us all the time. And, and the one I guys, the one I want to get to is this, he said, what are you most hoping will change in terms of the, you know, game strategy, the on the court strategy under the Shire era from Coach K? He said, obviously, we all love the GOAT, 
but there can still be certain things we hope might change. And he is curious about our perspectives. Sam, I'll come to you first, because I know this is something you've talked about this a lot, I think, not in terms of the specifics of what you want to change, but the fact that you kind of, you want there to be a change. So tee it up for me. What are you most hoping will be different in the Shire era? So I think as we've talked about in recent weeks, Shire has already achieved one of my main changes, which is the willingness to bring non-Duke guys into the program as as assistant coaches and, and members of the staff. Uh, bringing Jay Lucas in, I think, was, a, was an enormous one. And that's not necessarily an on-court change, um, depending on exactly what, what Jay Lucas implements in terms of strategy. But it, it does represent that that Duke is willing to look a little bit farther afield. And I think it's important now because, uh, you know, being able to, to sort of share best practices is, uh, is, is key to success, not just in, in college basketball or college athletics, but sort of in every field. As far as, as on court goes, the, one of the challenges I think that coach K faced, not in the most recent years, but, um, but certainly at the beginning of the one and done era and kind of leading into the one and done era was a sort of inflexibility around, I need to play this sort of defense. I need to initiate offense in a particular way. And he actually started to break down some of those, um, some of those habits the last four five, six years. The one and dones that Duke was bringing in were a little bit more versatile and, and were able to handle kind of more fluid, uh, particularly offensive strategies. I'm looking for Shire to, to just like totally embrace that. And when we go into every season, we kind of don't know what Duke is going to be best at, be it, you know, uh, high pick and rolls, um, you know, running offense out of the post, uh, being really known for, for like clever, uh, you know, Golden State Warriors or San Antonio Spurs type uh, play calling. All of that, I feel like should be on the table for John Shire. And he's young enough uh, and, and I think is connected enough in the NBA that he can kind of be always, always tinkering, always looking for, for the best new strategies. We, we, I think would have lamented a few years ago that coach K uh, was, was becoming more rigid in his game planning. And I hope that Shire brings a level of flexibility, which I believe he's already demonstrated his ability to do by uh, bringing in an assistant coach who really has no ties to the program. You kind of, you you really hit on the the thing that I, uh, also want to see, and, and, and I'll, I'll state it slightly differently, which is I, I, I want to see more flexibility in what we do on offense and defense. Uh, and, and you were saying there toward the end that Coach K uh, was a little rigid. And, and I don't want this to be seen at all as a criticism of, of the way he ran the team and ran the program and, and prepared for games and such. But it did feel like, you know, for me over the past half decade or, or maybe even a little more than that, maybe even from before we even started doing this podcast, I would look at Duke teams and sometimes think this team would be really well suited to do X and coach K would, would decide, no, they're going to do what, what I think is the most effective way of winning. Uh, and, and I'm talking, you know, on defense, I'm talking about something like playing, playing a zone or, or perhaps full court trapping or something like that, you know, playing with faster pace perhaps playing with slower pace. It just felt like Coach K wanted to play a certain way, regardless of what his personnel was. I recall a few years ago, we, we were speculating. Duke had a team, and I, I forget what year it was. Duke had a team where we were like, oh, you know what? You could easily run you know, two five-man squads out there, pick up the pace, 
press the whole game. There's enough speed, uh, you know, on in the subs that you could, you know, run the starters out there for seven minutes at full speed and then bring in an entire blue team, so to speak, for for three or four minutes and 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 just rotate them. And Coach K would never consider doing something like that. I hope John Shire is willing to look at his roster and consider other possibilities, whether it be playing more zone, whether it be not just running motion offense, um, playing more guys. I think perhaps the biggest thing for me is playing more guys. And, and part of playing more guys isn't just for success this year, but it's success for multiple years, because I, I think that you get guys more experienced. They develop a little bit better if they have played a little bit more in games and, uh, you know, the transfer portal, it, you keep them around your program a little bit more. Um, who's to say whether Henry Coleman would still be a blue devil if perhaps he'd, he'd played a little bit more his freshman year. So that that's the big thing that I'm hoping to see a little different from John Shire, Donald, your turn. Yeah, I think that was one of the, one of the two things I had. And it's funny, right? Um, we talk about the transfer portal. We're one of, I think 11 college programs in division one that did not have someone transfer out of the program into the I transfer know, I portal. love it. Yeah. Uh, which is, which is great. We obviously had five guys declare for the NBA draft and, and we, you know, we're waiting to hear on Trevor Keels, but and, and, I, I and think Donald, that's Donald, interesting. Really, really quick on that. I wonder how much of that is John, uh, a lot, a lot of that I'm sure is John Shire connecting with these guys, communicating with them, but I wonder how much of it is him talking to them about their roles for next year and them liking what they hear about their roles for next year. And perhaps, feeling like John Shire is going to be more willing to take chances. Is that the word with minutes than coach K was? So, I mean, he had a whole year to talk to him about their rules for next year. So uh, not just th this past year, but this coming year. And I think that that was part of the transition process, but I, I think using more of the bench, I think is, is what I would lean towards the most because you want to see what guys can do when there, you know, when it's crunch time, you want to know who your guys are in crunch time to do that. You can't rely. And, and if we get to, when we get to March, you can't have the same seven guys playing every single game because, or, or you know, heavy minutes every single game, because they're eventually going to get tired. You're going to need to rely on someone else. And you also want to give them that confidence that, Hey, I need to be ready because coach is going to call my number at some point And I'm, I'm going to get quality minutes to prove that I can be out on the floor. I think that's something that we, we can, probably see a little bit especially in year one under john shire i can't wait for us to I, I would like to bottle up this conversation and i can't wait for us to get to like january or february of next year duke's on a three-game losing streak and nobody's playing more than 25 minutes a game and we go what bring, is he doing bring back <laughs> bring back 33 35 minutes a game for the starters and put everybody else on the bench we don't need to see them anymore uh, I, I i don't want it to sound by the way that like sort of what Jason said, I don't want it to sound like I think that what Coach K was doing was decidedly wrong. It just felt like the fans didn't get to see as much behind the curtain because Coach K was really not interested in experimenting in games. And we've heard about, you know, mm -hmm. how difficult the practice are. Part of the reason you come to Duke is because you get to be playing the best guys in practice in addition to playing the highest profile games. So um, I, you know, maybe, maybe we're wrong. Maybe we don't need to see all that experimentation. Maybe, maybe coach K was, you know, draining the most out of, out of, you know, every, every ounce out of, out of all the guys that were coming through the program, but it is, 
in a way sort of more fun for the fans to see that experimentation, to see weird lineups, to see weird game planning. Uh, it'll, it'll make it more fun for us. I, and this is the second thing. And I think this is very important in how I structure this. I, I want this to be a John Shire team with coach K tendencies, not a coach K team with John Shire tendencies. And what I mean by that is, I don't want people when, you know, we rattle off, you know, 14 wins in a row to start the season next year that people are going, well, this is just Coach K's team and, you know, John Shire just kind of keeping it together. I want him to be able to feel like he can bring his own coaching style into this program and say, this is my team. This is how I want to run it. And even if it's different from Coach K, and there's going to be things that he will do that are going to be different from the GOAT, but that's okay. I want this to be his team. And if we have some tendencies where he goes, hey, you know, we have a game where instead of playing 11 guys, he plays seven. Like, that's a Coach K tendency. That's cool. Like, I, I'm okay with that. But I want it to be where he feels like he can spread his wings and put his mark on the program because that's honestly what Coach K was able to do back in 1980. He was able to spread his wings and put his mark on the program. And even if it's even if there's a few struggles, and, and that's the thing I think us as a fan base are going to have to deal with, that there may be some struggles that we're not used to in these first few years, but let's see it through and make it where this becomes John Shire's team. And I think that is probably the biggest question mark as to how this team is going to run and why we kind of have this question from Jonathan. And I think that's kind of the thing I want to see. I'm going to absolutely guarantee, guarantee something that happens this upcoming season, which is that at some point during the season, you will hear some Duke fans say, "Uh Oh, we may have made a mistake by hiring this untested kid as our head coach. <laughs> it's going to happen. Uh, I remember this past year, uh, like uh, coming out of the ACC tournament, the number of Duke fans who thought, oh, this team is cooked. This team, you know, is not that good. We, we, we overestimated their, their ceiling. If you'd told folks coming out of the ACC tournament, this team was going to, uh, you know, beat teams as good as Texas Tech that they were going to make the uh, NCAA Final Four. There are a lot of Duke fans, and again, Duke fans, people who spend a lot of time and energy following this team. There are a lot of Duke fans out there who would have said, you are crazy. And, and lo and behold, it, it happened. And I, I guess my, my last thing I would say on all of this is, I think it's easy for us to look at what John Shires accomplished, not just this past year, since he was named um, coach, head coach to be, but, but throughout the past several years and go, wow, this kid is an amazing recruiter. And it's easy to think that's the reason he's been picked as the next Duke head coach. I, I would submit to you that my bet is John Shire has a heck of a basketball mind. When, when coach K told his staff that he was going to be leaving in a year and that a coaching search was going to happen and Chris Carowell stood up in the room and said, I believe our next head coach is, is sitting right here with us. Chris Carowell didn't say that about John Shire because Chris Carowell thought, man, that, that kid's a great recruiter. He said it because he thinks John Shire has a great basketball mind and that John Shire is a brilliant tactician, that he knows the game and that he's a really smart dude when it comes to hoops. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to, we, we've sat here and we've speculated about, oh, here's things that'll change. Here's things that will be different, whatever it may be. I'm looking forward to the journey that we're going to have over this next year and probably next few years of learning about John Shire's basketball mind, because they did not hand the biggest brand 
the biggest team, the most important college basketball program in the country. They didn't hand it over to a dude in his 30s with zero head coaching experience because he can recruit. They handed it to him because he's ready in all those other aspects of the game as well. That was it, Jason. That was, we, that was we, well put. We solved the whole tweet. We solved the whole thing. Next there question. we go. Hey, I love it. We're going undefeated next year. We, we just solved it. It's all good. I, I, I may leave. You know, I'm, I'm doing the edit on this episode, folks. I may, there was an uncomfortable silence there when I got done talking. I figured one of them would. What what do you would jump in? I, and jump I, in. I would I would say in. that I would say that I was content even. <laughs> uh, we we won't look as as we've said so many times. We won't know if the if the John Shire hire wasn't a good idea for at least a year, if not multiple. And and I know that it it hurts to to tell Duke fans to look down the road and admire the the progress, but look at how much Hubert Davis did in the last month and a half of UNC's season after you know, losing a bunch of questionable games, Carol, I talked to multiple, you know, Carolina fans who were like, man, I don't know if this Hubert Davis thing was a good idea. Like, I, I know it was like, it was nice for Roy to sort of hand the reins to, to one of his protégés, but this just doesn't feel right. And lo and behold, like find a UNC fan that's not happy with Hubert Davis right now. Um, those, you can't, <laughs> those bumps, right. Those bumps will almost certainly happen for John Shire. Duke will lose inexplicable games next year. Like almost just like, it's just, it's just a function of Shire doesn't have that much experience as a head coach. He's got a handful of games when coach K is out with like illnesses and surgeries and things, but uh, so, so there'll be a learning curve, but uh, it feels like, it feels like Duke did, did what they, what they wanted to do in finding a head coach. Look, look at UNC, all those fans, like 99% of them are very happy with this hire and 98% of them won't tell you that back in September, they were like, oh man, who, why did we go with Hubert Davis? This is stupid. We should have gone with a younger oh, I've coach, got, yada, yada, yada. I've got the September. Got the wait, 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 wait. September. How about January, February? When they lost to Pittsburgh yeah, February. in February, there are plenty of UNC fans who are like, we're, we're doomed. We're co- we, I, had, I had the receipts. For, I had the receipts the cook in to my the text season. messages. Uh, yeah, there are. Yeah, there are. There are definitely people who will have, again, we were going to ladies and gentlemen out there. We were going to have a, a question about uh, we got a question from someone about uh, who lives rent free. Where do we live rent free the most in people's heads? And we didn't have to answer that question because the answer is every school in, in the country. But we already everyone knows the suspected. But like, again, USC fans have been so kind to tell me over the last few weeks how much they appreciated Hubert Davis from the beginning and how they you know that I should be really upset that we ended you know coach K's career and I'm like look man like I I did not I'm at a DC United game I don't care about UNC right now but it's clear that you felt kind enough to come up and tell me about Duke I know where I know who's paying the rent and whose head and it ain't me so I, I think when it comes to UNC there's a lot of people who way back when we're like, oh man, we, we made the wrong, we made the wrong decision. And then they get to the final four and they're like, see, told you, told you Hubert was going to pan out. No, y'all did. All right. So speaking of all these other teams that Duke lives rent-free in their head, we got a question from Manny Matthews that I think is kind of fun. Let's move on to this one. What team would you hate to be a fan of? What, what fan base is the most tortured? Essentially, that's what Manny is asking. Donald, I come to you first. Who would you hate it? If you were doing a podcast for, <laughs> okay. So I'm talking strictly basketball here. Okay. Um, and yes, yes. I think all... we, 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 I, I will, I, I will be the adjudicator on this. We are limiting this to basketball only college basketball. 
College basketball, right. Because again, you could have, there's some schools where, you know, you can kind of fall back on the football team or, or some other team, whatever. We're just talking about strictly college basketball. And I'm going to give you my, with all due respect team, and then my honorable mention team. Um, the team that I'm thinking of, it might be Cincinnati. Um, why Cincinnati? They're decent, but they know they'll never be number one in their state in anything. Hell, they may not be even number one in their own city in basketball at this point because they are they, they have Xavier right down the street. They won two national bas- uh, basketball championships in a row, 1961, 1962. So that's still recent enough that you have a segment of their fan base that expects excellence every single year because they've seen it firsthand. And at the same time, they're in Ohio. And you guys know me. I'm from Michigan. Skyline Chili is not good. There's just a lot of L's when it comes to the Cincinnati program, basketball related. So uh, I think that's the one that I probably would hate to be a fan of just because you're never going to get the respect. Even if you do something, you're never going to get the respect in your own state or even your own city. Honorable mention, shout out to NC State because they're in a similar position um, where no matter what, they will never be, at least in basketball, uh, even when they do well, sort of well, they're still looking up at Duke and UNC. And I know, you know, being right in, in the same triangle, um, I know they're always trying to insert themselves into conversations like, hey, we're over here, we exist too. And Duke and UNC fans very commonly are like, yeah, yeah, that's great, you're over here. I think that's where Cincinnati is. But Cincinnati's in Ohio. That's what puts it over the top for me. All right, Sam, your turn. Who would you hate to be a fan of? Donald, I, I love your pick because you addressed – uh, geography and history, um, which I think are like the, the, the two key elements here. I'll give you uh, two programs. Uh, actually, I'll, I'll, I'll give you three, all of which are sort of in, in a similar category for me. And, and I want to make sure that when I'm doing this, I'm, I'm coming to you as a, as a 33-year-old um, who, you know, I, I sort of have the, the, the arc of history that I experienced and, and you guys have seen a little bit more college basketball history than I have. And so you don't, um, you don't have sort of the, the same uh, context on this. The fans of the programs that I would not want to be today are UCLA and Indiana, uh, which are the, the two fan bases that kind of have the most like history that totally doesn't matter today um, when you go <laughs> at to, least today wow. you mean today it doesn't yeah, exactly. matter as much sam, exactly. this, is, yeah, you're... this is a brilliant answer sam i so, love your answer so, and 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 the third team that's in here uh that i'm, I'm gonna say and is gonna feel like i'm i'm twisting the knife a little bit is maryland um because because of just the way that that everything has gone down for that program over the last 10 years leaving the acc joining a conference where yes their athletic department makes more money and what can you point to as, as far as like, like what has that done for them as, as fans of the, of the basketball and football programs? I'm sure it's allowed them to keep, you know, more sports alive that, that general, like, you know, not to, not to denigrate like the, the hard work of all the student athletes on the teams that nobody goes to see, but nobody goes to see them. And, and I don't know how much Maryland alumni care if, you know, these various other sports are, are thriving or existing in their conference, but back to UCLA and Indiana. When I was growing up in late 90s, early 2000s, I thought of UCLA and Indiana in that same blue blood conversation that you would Duke, North Carolina, Kentucky, Kansas, the, you know, the, the, the programs that you think of today. And to be totally frank, they really haven't, you know, returned to that, 
to that point. They've had moments, both of those programs, Indiana was, was number one in the country just a few years ago. UCLA, of course, went to three straight final fours in the, in the mid 2000s with, with guys like Kevin Love and Russell Westbrook. They went back to the final four recently. But when you look at their history, man, a 33-year-old a, a uh, fan of those programs or a 20-year-old fan of those programs, somebody who's going to school at those places today, just doesn't know um, exactly what all of that glory felt like. I think for Indiana fans, it's particularly pronounced because Indiana is in a conference where they have like, you know, across the whole arc of history, they have the most prominent program in the Big Ten, right? They, I, I believe they have the most championships of any of any program in the Big Ten. But if you had to sort of slot all the Big Ten programs together today in terms of like, if you're a recruit and you get an offer from every Big Ten program, where are you going? Indiana comes out seventh, eighth, ninth on that list. I mean, kids today who, who have been yeah. growing up watching college basketball think of Michigan, Ohio State, Michigan State, Wisconsin, all of these programs are more prominent, like definitely more prominent than, than Indiana is today. And in recent years, Iowa, Northwestern's had moments, um, Purdue, like Illinois, on, on down the line, even Maryland, I think at this point is more prominent than Indiana is. So I would hate to be a fan of, of Indiana or UCLA today. I wouldn't have hated to be a fan of them, you know, 30, 40, 50 years ago, but we're, we're not there. We're here. I, I think Indiana is the better choice. I, I love both those answers. Indiana is a better choice because UCLA has been more prominent in the past 15 years or so than Indiana has for sure. And in fact, look, there, there's, there are people out there who will tell you that UCLA you know, if not preseason number one is certainly a preseason top three, top five team next year, um, uh, you know, for our very next season, uh, Indiana isn't nearly as relevant today as, as UCLA is, but Sam, that is a, a great answer guys in the course of ooh, ooh, doing a, Oh, it, Donald, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think in the, I think this is a great pick Sam, because this is the third element that I didn't like, I, I decided not to discuss. Uh, when I was talking about Cincinnati, but in the case of Maryland and Indiana, especially their fans believe that they're the head coaching job at those schools is a top three job in the country. And it is nowhere near a is top this where three I laugh? job. Can, can I laugh right in the now? country? <laughs> yeah. They always is like when, when, when Mark and they all, and the thing is they do this, they have several, you know, they've had several coaching changes. And when they do, Everyone's like, oh, well, we're going to get the top guys. Like, we're looking at Bill Self. We're looking at, you know, Coach K is going to leave. Tom Izzo is going to leave. They're, they're talking about top coaches in the game. And they're thinking that all these coaches are going to drop everything to go to Indiana. And they're not. They're, they're just, they're getting, they're not getting those coaches, right? They're not. And every single time a coaching job opens, which in Indiana is like every few years, they consider it a top three job in the country. And it's not. And I also think in the case of Indiana, I do think that a lot of that tradition, that history, that, that the, the pedigree that they have rests on the reputation of Bob Knight, which has gone down quite a bit in recent years. And I think that has something to do with Indiana's demise as well as, you know, just the quality of product that they're putting on the floor. Okay. So, so my turn and, and in the course of, it was sort of funny, we got this, this email from Manny asking this question and, and then, uh, a short time afterwards, I just happened to be, you know, scrolling through Twitter as I sometimes do. And, and I came across a tweet that was uh, some guy named camel guy, SJU 
put out a chart of all the power six conference schools, you know, ACC, you know, the, the major conferences, all those teams. And when was the last time they won an NCAA tournament game? And he goes back through the entire millennium since the year 2000, by the way, St. John's and Nebraska are the two teams who have not won an NCAA tournament game this millennia. Wow. <laughs> uh, so first of all, St. John's, a team with a tremendous amount of history and people who really care about that. In Nebraska, yeah, whatever. They, they were a football school at one time. They, they've never been. A I'm not Jason. I'm not worried about fans of St. John's in Nebraska, because as you point out, they've got like every fan of St. John's basketball is like a New York person. And so they have a million teams to root for and a million other things to care about. Still, uh, the fact that they haven't won an NCAA tournament game this millennia is pretty striking. And, and so I was looking through that list of teams like when did they last? Win? By the way, Georgia Tech and Wake Forest haven't won an NCAA tournament game since 2010. I was like, damn, I, that's, that's a long time in the wilderness there for them. And there's a, a BC. BC hasn't won an NCAA tournament game since 2007. I mean, there's some, some pretty brutal uh, uh, Jason, stretches of, of not winning. Jason, can I also, can I also yeah. interrupt about Boston College? I, I, sure. will, I will rehash my, uh, my experience at the Duke-Boston College game from back in February. Absolutely. There are no Boston College basketball fans left. They're, they're gone. <laughs> they, they, they moved on, you know, so, so we don't need to, I don't need to spend too much time with them. Well, then there's, there's also the, the point of this, right? Like you mentioned uh, St. John's, which is clearly a basketball school and Georgia Tech, which arguably can be considered more of a football school. At least they, like what the fan base cares about more is football over basketball, as opposed to here where they care about basketball more than football. Right. Like, yeah, that that leads to the to the fan bases like Indiana. They don't care about Indiana football. All they care about is Indiana basketball. And when they're mediocre, it really pisses them off. So that's like that's where I, I'm considering with like when Sam was talking about just their fan bases just are just insufferable for no reason. Like that has something to do with it, too. So, 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 by the way, on this chart, I noticed that Kentucky hasn't won an NCAA tournament game since 2019. I was like, wow, Kentucky. Anyway, the, the, the team that I noticed on the chart that has not won an NCAA tournament game since 2015 is the team that I am picking that I would not like to be a fan of. And Sam already briefly mentioned them. That's the NC State Wolfpack. I can't imagine being in the midst of such a hoops is i mean the triangle is the the beating heart of college basketball because of duke and unc and nc state fans and there are a lot of nc state fans and they care passionately about their basketball team like you said they are in the middle of all of this and they are not that they're a non-entity but they're just not a big deal compared to duke and unc I, I think it would be crushing, so difficult to be an NC State fan, to constantly be looking up at my two big brothers, so to speak, who are always, always better. Even like even when my team rises up and is pretty good, it feels like they are always better. And, and I, that would be the team that to me would be the most difficult to root for because just year after year after year, you, 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 you suffer from from being the little sister in in uh you know on the block so that that's that's my answer to that one guys we, we've been chatting about these questions for a while 
we're going to take a break. When we come back from the break, if there was three seconds left and your team was down two and you sent someone to the free throw line, who would that be? We will answer that question from Duke history. Who would you most want at the free throw line? Who would you most want to do a whole bunch of different things when we come back from the break? All right, we're back. And as we continue on this, uh, this sort of weird answering questions and just, you know, picking topics out of the out of the ether. I think um, they call this I think they call this a mailbag episode. Yeah, exactly. Definitely a mailbag. Thank you. Thank you, Sam. <laughs> as we continue down this path, we're not going to the mailbag. We're going to Twitter. Uh, Ryan Lohman, uh, who is at the Duke Nation on Twitter, a great follow on Twitter. There are some really great um, Duke Twitter follows out there. And Ryan Lohman is one of them. He tweeted out something that I thought was really fun the other day. I'm going to have you guys play this game along with me. He said, pick a former Blue Devil for each of these categories. He had a bunch of categories. He said, pick a former Blue Devil. And by the way, you can only pick one player for each. So the first category is pick a former Blue Devil to get a bucket. You got to get a bucket. Who is it going to be? Donald, who's your pick? Zion. Sam? Ooh. I think there are a few good choices here, but I feel like Jay Williams would have been my uh, my pick for getting the bucket in Duke history. It's a good pick too. Yeah, yeah and and that's who I I picked Jay Williams because oh well then that's boring. Uh, sorry. <laughs> All right, fine. I I picked Johnny Dawkins. <laughs> <laughs> that that's a, that's a fine choice as well. That's a fine choice as well. Okay, so we've now marked Zion, Jay Will, and Johnny Dawkins off. Um, All right. The next one is pick a former Blue Devil to get a defensive stop. Sam, I'll come to you first. Oh, I'll, I'll steal Donald's selection first uh, because it's so clearly Shane Battier. I don't even know why we're asking the question. Donald, do you concur? I, I concur. <laughs> Donald just concur. <laughs> okay, so, so I went outside the box on this. I said Billy King. And I know I'm older than you guys, which is one of the reasons I said oh, that's Billy good. King, but- but let me explain why I said Billy King over Shane Battier. When I think of getting a defensive stop, I think of this guy is going to lock down one other guy. And I love Shane. Shane is an amazing defensive player. Shane is not the best one-on-one defender in Duke history. The best one-on-one defender in Duke history is Billy King. Shane's the best help defender. Shane's the best overall defender. But if I need to stop on one guy, I'm picking Billy King because he's the best one-on-one defender in Duke history. I need to go watch the tape. I, I, I am certainly aware of, of this reputation, and I know that he won National Defensive Player of the Year, but uh, I, I need to review the tape on Billy King, because I, I believe you, Jason, that it was that good. Uh, I just never Yeah, saw he it. was really good. He was really good. Also, watch, I, so- I, considered, I considered Matt Jones for, like, one-on-one defending as well, because I thought he was an elite one-on-one defender. He may not have been, you know, National play, Defensive Player of the Year, but he – but he, he struck a chord with me, but it, it's clearly a shame for me. Well, I, and the other thing is we should consider, you know, who are we playing? Like, are we playing a team that has a really good guard? Are we playing a team that has a big man? Because if they got a big man, I'm putting Sheldon back there, and Sheldon's the guy who's going to block that shot. Um, so, you know, and by the way, Sam, if you want to, if you want to check out Billy King, the game against Temple in the NCAA tournament, it was a, a, a great a Elite Eight game against Temple. Mark Macon of Temple was a freshman 
and was the freshman of the year. He was an all American. Uh, this, this is back before freshman dominated college basketball. This dude dominated like almost no one ever has. And Billy King wrecked his career. I want to be clear about that. Mark Macon was never the same after that one game, his freshman year against Jason, Billy. is this Duke versus temple in 1988? Uh, yes, I believe it was 88 was the year. Yes. All right. It is, it is on YouTube. I will put it in my watch. Oh yes. Mark Macon was, was, uh, was a player in this game. Oh my goodness. He went six for 29. <laughs> yes, he did. Yes, he <laughs> he did. went six for 29. And, and, and like I like I said, look at his stats. Look at what Mark Macon, if you go to basketball reference or something like that, look at his stats, what he was as a freshman. And then like in subsequent years, he literally had nightmares about Billy King for the rest of his life. It is. He, he shot. Okay. So, so I, I, I did, as you said, I'm, I'm on his basketball reference page. Yep. Uh, he shot 45% uh, overall from the field as a freshman, including 46% from two and 42% from three. Like, pretty good shooter not, yeah yeah not elite by today's standards but but like definitely an elite scorer in in the 80s so 45 percent overall his sophomore year he shot 40.7 percent including just uh just 40 44 percent from two um his junior season he was 39 percent from the yeah. field he got worse every year because billy king continued to haunt him that that's how great a defender billy king was Man, all right we're moving on hey, hey but, this is one of those... I, I will say shout out mark macon former Piston, he made it to the NBA. So I'm, I'm okay. With this is one of those stories. You know how, when Jason, I'm going to offend you very quickly Go ahead, uh, for the please. sake of, for the sake of the conversation, you know, how when old people tell you about this thing that happened once upon a time and you're like, that didn't really happen that way. You're, you're full of garbage. Uh, Jason, you're totally right. <laughs> this complete, the, the stats say this happened exactly as you said. So uh, I believe it now, now I need to go. Now I need to go watch the game. So I will put that in my, in my YouTube watch later, and I will consume that very soon. I love it. As we move on the list, make a three. Pick a former Blue Devil to make a three-pointer. And again, I want to point out, you can only pick a guy once for this category. So it'd be easy to just show... Wait, that's not what he said. That's not what he said. He didn't say mean? that in a tweet. He in said, tweet, he didn't pick, say that. pick a different player for each one. That's what he said, a different no. player. Says, did he say a different player? Because I'm pretty sure he just said former player. He said, pick a different player for each one. So th otherwise you could, there are like four of these categories that you could pick JJ Reddick. I'm going to be honest. And you're not I mean, allowed to do that. <laughs> There's no, there, it's, it's pick one for each category. All right. So Donald, if you may need a second here, I'll go to Sam first. Sam, mm -hmm. who's your former blue devil to make a three pointer? Because, and, and the implication, Jason, because we haven't gotten to the end of the list is that you also need a former blue devil to make a free throw, right? Yep. And and JJ Redick, as as good as he was from three, was arguably better, sort of relative to the average at the free throw line. So I think I got to save JJ Redick for making a free throw, which means that for making a three, the, the great thing is there are a ton of guys in in Duke history that were uh, that were great three point shooters. Among them, who do I want the most? I was going to say Gary Trent just to just to make Jason upset, but I know that, uh, I know that his, <laughs> his, his average wasn't as good. Uh, I didn't prepare the answer to this one, which is why I'm stalling. Donald, do you have an answer? No, I was going to wait for your answer. Cause uh, I, I, I tell you guys, I'll, I'll go first. I got Kyrie Irving. Do you guys know Kyrie was 46% from three in that, in that abbreviated season he had, I, I think 46%. Are we still, are we still talking about your, your team here? Or are we talking about, <laughs> mm -hmm. 
Is this a conversation <laughs> about the conversation? I'm saving JJ Redick for another category. And so my three point shooter is Kyrie Irving at 46.1, 46.2% from three point range. All right. I've given you guys a couple of moments. Why don't you take Luke? Right, I'll go take Luke Kennard, Donald. No, I'm not taking Luke Kennard because Luke Kennard was a, was a great three point shooter, but he was a better scorer, And I think that was his, his thing at Duke. I'm going Seth Curry. It's not a bad choice at all. Not bad. I think I, I actually think that that was going to be my selection as well. Um, so I, am I allowed to, are we, are we allowed to sure. double up on guys? Yeah, yeah, saying, absolutely. I, I, I also wanted Seth Curry here. I like it. All right. Uh, the next category is get a rebound. I actually think this is a pretty easy choice, but we'll see if we all have the same person. Uh, Donald, who's getting a rebound for you? Marvin Bagley, the third. Ooh, I, I considered that. That's not who I picked. That's who I considered. Sam. I think that's a good, oh, there's another one I considered, but yeah. Uh, I, I, I like that as a selection, but I'll take Sheldon Williams. Or no, sorry. I won't take Sheldon Williams. Um, I will, Ooh, I already took Shane Battier and I like him getting a rebound for me. I'm also stalling on this one. I will, uh, Ooh, ah, shoot. You know what, Jason, I need your answer first. Uh, so, uh, you have to pay the rent. I'm taking the landlord, Sheldon Williams. He's getting my rebound. He had ah, bummer. I believe he has the highest, um, single season rebounding average, um, in, in coach K history. So that's, who do I, I need to, do I need someone to, to, to get a block? No. Oh, then I can take Sheldon Williams. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> you're not, not blocking a shot, so you're taking Sheldon Williams. All right, make two free throws. Is this where JJ Reddick comes off the board? Sam, who's making two free throws for you? Yes, JJ Reddick. I think it was his junior season. Um, was was to say he was automatic from three is only slightly an exaggeration. Uh, so it, it, I think you got to take JJ Reddick, and you got to use him on this category. Donald. Jonathan Clay, J.J. Redick, was literally flirting with another dude in college for the greatest free throw or free throw percentage of all time. Like it was, it was people audibly gasped when he missed a free throw, and he's the only guy in Duke history that could tell ninety three hundred and fourteen people in Cameron to cheer for him while he was shooting free throws because it would help him with his concentration. That is John Clay Redick. Uh, so I'm not taking JJ Reddick for this category. I instead am taking Tyus Jones who hit 89% of his free throws. Um, I'm saving JJ Reddick for the next and final category. Um, but Tyus, like I said, hit 89%. I mean, yeah, JJ may have hit 90, but there's functionally very little difference in those. And Tyus was clutch. I mean, clutch gene, big time clutch. It, if I need to hit two free throws, it is with the game on the line. It is late in the game. And what Tyus showed me in 2015 was nerves of steel. I love JJ Redick. When the game was on the line in the NCAA tournament, JJ Redick was not super reliable. He almost every he was year that, fouled is what you were trying to say. He was almost, fouled almost every year that Duke went out during JJ's career. JJ had a bad final game. Let's just put it that way. Um, so, so that's why I took Tyus. All right, last if, category, if, gentlemen. If, he, if he's foul, if that foul is called in 2004, we're hoisting a national championship because John Clay Reddick goes to the free throw line and knocks down two, like he's done for again. He, I think he missed like 12 free throws that entire year. He was not missing two at the end of the game. You're, you're probably right about that. And I, 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 2004, as as we've often said, 2004 and 1999 are the two years that Duke was robbed the most of a national title. All right, last last category. And I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spoil it. This is what I saved JJ for. It's get 30 points in a game. 
I, I want to point out 30 points is a lot of points. So I, that's where I saved JJ Redick, the leading scorer in Duke history. That is in my pick to get 30 points in the game. And I, I should point out that he is the guy who has more 30 point games than anyone else in Duke history. So Sam, since he's getting 30 points for you, since we haven't used him yet, or at least I haven't used him yet. And none, and none of the rest of you have, uh, I just feel like I got to plug Christian Leitner into one of my categories here. Um, such that by the end of his college career, maybe it's that maybe it's that Christian Leitner just had too many other good players on his team. Uh, you know, his, his last two years in Durham, he had Grant Hill to take some of the scoring load. He had Danny Ferry, his, his freshman season. So uh, I'll, I'll, I'll take Christian Leitner here. I, I, I am not sure. I bet Christian Leitner had less than five 30 point games in his career. I, he may have had less than three, although against Kentucky, the, the, the big game in 90, he, he had a pretty, exactly yeah. 30 points in that game. So. Yeah. There's a, I, I think that's more a, an, an aspect of like team competition or team composition yeah. than it is about, mm-hmm. about Christian Leitner. It's just like JJ Redick was, was on teams where, where he was, he was required to carry that scoring load. I'm not saying that, that, yeah, yeah I, I don't want to denigrate, but right. Um, All right, Donald. Uh, my guy is Rowan Alexander Barrett Jr. You know him as RJ Barrett. It's not a bad choice. As not, a I mean him. Him and Zion, like sometimes they traded thirty point games. Sometimes they decided to both do it at the same time. It was it was it was great to watch. Um, and if you need a thirty point game, I'm looking at the kid who can still who in the NBA has had a few thirty point games as well. So um, yeah, I'm going with him. Kind of remarkable how little. We talked about Zion, Christian, you know, the, the, we, we spent a lot of time talking about JJ. <laughs> I mean, Zion, get a bucket. I, I, I started with Zion and I did, I, that didn't need any explanation. I think everyone understood what I was going with. All right, guys. So that's, that's pretty much going to wrap it up for us here on this episode of the DBR podcast. I'm going to take host privilege though, for one second. I do want to mention something very quickly. Guys, last night I went and I saw a screening of a movie that comes out in a little more than a week. I'm telling all of you right now, you need to go see Top Gun Maverick. It is. I've heard this. It is incredible. Um, that movie ended and I turn, as folks, folks may be aware, I'm, I'm, I'm a film critic. That movie ended. I turned to some of my critic buddies and I said, okay, aliens, Terminator two, the empire strikes back the dark Knight." I said, where does this rank among the all-time greatest sequels? And, and we all agreed it's right up alongside those films. The final 45 minutes of this movie is just perfect. Every single second of it is perfect. I, if, if you've not seen Top Gun, see Top Gun. But this is better than Top Gun. Almost everyone I spoke to said that that Top Gun Maverick is better than the, you need to see the original to have like the proper context on all the characters and the such. But I mean, wow, this is, this is a heck of a film. So I don't usually come on here and, and recommend movies, but just go see Top Gun Maverick. It's, it's fabulous. I mean, the teaser trailers that we've had over the last like year or so have been great. But uh, when I saw Dr. Strange the other night, they had the full like two and a half minute trailer of Top Gun Maverick. And yeah, it looks great. And everyone that I know that has seen it so far, um, it, they, they all said, yo, it's a must watch. So I'm look, I was already looking forward to it. This just gets me more excited for it. There we go. 
All right, so that's going to wrap it up for us here on episode four. I think we said 422 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. Donald, Sam, thanks for joining me. I am Jason. It is time for the Duke Band to play us out and take us home. I assume you're feeling better since you're back in the office. Yeah, I am. Uh, I am feeling better. Um... I felt pretty shitty last week, uh, but uh, now I'm back, I think. So that's good. I, there, there was uh, a friend of mine sent me something, and he said that uh, it's believed that 60% of the people in America have now gotten COVID at I saw some that. point. I saw that same thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, they had an article about uh, the dwindling number of people who have never caught it, and I'm like, I'm not about to out myself, but you know. <laughs> well, <laughs> that, there you go. Sixty percent that matches with the uh, with the group here, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah.